Good afternoon. We'll look at John chapter 6, verses 35 through 48. John 6, 35 through 48. The title of the sermon is, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came to his father and mother we know. How does he say now, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word once again that we can um, look at it and understand it and apply it in our lives. We pray that you would open up your scripture to us, help us to understand and uh, and help us to see uh, the word through the eyes of faith that we might believe and that we might transform our relationship with you. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as Pastor Aiden mentioned earlier, today is Palm Sunday. This is the, the beginning beginning of the last week of Jesus on earth. Jesus entered Jerusalem on this day, on his way to the cross, and many of the Gospels record his, his uh, road to the cross. And this is the day he enters Jerusalem. The people greeted him as a king with palm branches as a symbol of victory. Uh, that's why this is significant because now this this final week is his last week and this final week is called Passion Week. Uh, Passion Week doesn't mean that he was passionate about what he did this week. Uh, it's called Passion Week because the word passion in Greek means suffering. It's the week of suffering for Jesus. It's the week that Jesus suffered for our salvation. Uh, Thursday is the day that he prayed in agony in the garden as he surrendered his will to the Father, and as he received, he received the cup of suffering from the Father. Friday is the day that he was betrayed by his closest friends, when he was beaten, ridiculed, flogged, crucified on the cross. So this is an important time for Christians. This is probably the most important week of the year for Christians, even more than Christmas. A lot of times in the Old Testament, we see God command the Israelites, saying things like, 
commemorate this day, right? He commands them, remember this event. Remember the day that you came out of Egypt. And he gives them instructions on how to celebrate certain events year after year. And he says, do that so that, so that you will remember the Lord, so that you won't forget the Lord. And uh, that's why Lent is important to Christians. That's why Passion Week is important to Christians. And that's why throughout this week, we try to walk with Christ. So we want to encourage you to do that every day this week. Maybe you can read the accounts recorded in the Gospels of what Jesus did on that day of this week. Meditate on the, the, those events pertaining to the Gospel story. And maybe you can even fast sometime this week as a way of even more personally identifying with Jesus and his sufferings for us. And we want to do that, walk with Christ, identify with Christ throughout Passion Week. And then together as a church, we have a special Good Friday service to remember Christ's crucifixion. And as mentioned, we'll also have communion at that service here on Friday. And, uh, and then also we'll have a special baptism service on Sunday to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. So those are some of the events that we have coming up. And I just want to encourage you to make the most of this week and walk with Christ. And, and just lastly, this is kind of up in the air because uh, it'll depend on the weather. But we might have some sort of special outdoor fellowship planned after Easter service. So be on the lookout for that announcement if it happens. We're continuing on in the study of John chapter 6, and we've broken it up into different parts because it's a one long continuous uh, narrative that begins with the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous work of the feeding of the 5,000, and then the implications of that, what that what that means in this long discourse, in the bread of life discourse that he has with these Jews. Okay, so we want to continue in that discourse as Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. First, uh, just two points today, and they're a little, little more, um, uh, I don't know, like theological maybe. So just for digestibility, we're going to have two points today. First, all that he has given me. All that he has given me. Again, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is engaged in a dialogue with the people the day after feeding the 5,000. He fed them with the bread. And then after that, he said, my father gives you the true bread from heaven but the people didn't understand what that meant. They thought this bread that Jesus was talking about from heaven was like the manna of the Old Testament. And that's why they say to Jesus, give us this bread always. Give it to us day after day, kind of like manna. So now Jesus makes it more clear. I am the bread, bread of life. And he's trying to teach them how to have eternal life. The statement here in verse 35, I'm the bread of life, Whoever comes to me shall never 
shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This statement contains an invitation and a promise. An invitation and a promise. It's kind of like when you receive an invitation to a birthday party or something like that. There's an invitation and a promise, right? You are invited to come to this event. And if you come, uh, I will provide the food or something like that. That's kind of a bad example. but Come over to my house. If you come, I will provide the entertainment. Invitation and a promise. It's kind of like that. Jesus is saying, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Right? Promise. So, the invitation is, so come to me. Right? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So, the invitation is, come to me. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's a promise. So, believe in me. Invitation along with the promise. Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. The people rejected the invitation because they were short-sighted. They saw Jesus and his power, but they did not see what the miracle signified. They saw Jesus with the eyes of curiosity, with the perspective of personal ambition, but they did not see Jesus through the eyes of faith. You have seen me, yet do not believe. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So now Jesus gives this invitation, right? Uh, with the promise, he gives, sends out the invitation. People reject the the invitation. So now Jesus goes on to explain his invitation further. And the logic here uh, in the next three, four verses, the logic goes like this. He says, the will of the Father is that everyone who comes to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That's the will of the Father. Jesus came not to do his own will, but to do the Father's will, to do the will of the Father who sent him. Therefore, all that the Father gives him, all who comes to him, Jesus will never cast out. Not only will he never cast them out, but he will preserve them till the end and raise them up on the last day. And so through these statements, he's explaining what he said when he said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He's saying, this is why whoever comes to me will be forever satisfied. Now, one thing that we cannot help but notice here is that there seems to be a, a predetermined Father's will when it comes to eternal life. Right? Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 39, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. Right? Seems like the Father has a predetermined will. There are those who the Father gives to the Son. The Father's predetermined will. But another thing that we notice here is that the Father's predetermined will is connected to the individual's choice. Because notice, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Right? All that the Father gives me will come to me. But then he says in verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. So those two things are the same. 
all that the Father gives me, that's the same as everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him. All that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me will have eternal life, and that's the will of the Father. And everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. That's also the will of the Father. So, the Father has a predetermined will, but the Father's predetermined will is connected to the individual's choice to believe in Jesus Christ. I remember a few times in the course of my ministry, I remember a few times people coming to me and saying things, some, saying something like, I want to believe. I want to believe, but I'm not sure if I'm predestined. What if I'm, I'm not one of the chosen ones? What if I'm destined for hell? So think about that. Like think about like what a person is thinking when they say something like that. I want to believe, but I don't know if I can believe. Right? I don't know if I can believe because I might be destined to not believe. And a person who thinks like that feels stuck spiritually because what if like I'm trying to believe and God is against me? That's a terrible place to be, right? Such a helpless feeling to be in that place. And now if that was true, like if something like, if that was a true reality, if that could happen, then we would have no hope, right? Like I want to believe, I want to go ahead, believe in Jesus, but I can't because God is stopping me. Like, if that was true, like, we would have no hope. But what Jesus says here eliminates that as a possibility. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a guarantee. It's a promise. He says, the Father's will is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. So that means if someone doesn't believe, it's the person's own rejection of Christ based on what he fails to see. The person might see Jesus, but again, sees with curiosity, just like the crowd, sees with some sort of personal ambition there, just like the crowd, and not through the eyes of faith. There's a rejection of Jesus there. Because again, everyone who comes to the Son will have eternal life. All that he has given me. Secondly, unless the Father draws him. Okay, so now, after Jesus said that, what Jesus just said doesn't sit right with these Galilean Jews. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, son of Joseph, his father and mother we know? How does he say, now I have come down from heaven? So they had a hard time believing what Jesus was saying because they're thinking, how can he say he came down from heaven? Because we know who he is. Right? We know his parents. We know where he lives. 
So to them, like this sounds ludicrous, right? Like we thought this person, Jesus, we thought he was special, but maybe he's just crazy. To that, Jesus responds, verse 43, he answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. So people are saying, I can't believe this stuff because whatever, this and that doesn't make sense. They're saying, I would believe, but, and then whatever, something. I would believe, but something. You fill in the blank. I want to believe, I would believe, but that doesn't make sense, or I can't get over this, or whatever, something. So to what they're saying, Jesus rebukes these doubters, basically who oppose his word. He says, do not grumble. Just like the Israelites grumbled against Moses in the wilderness, right? Failing to trust God, these Jews grumbled against Jesus, again, with their lack of faith. Remember, these are the same people who wanted to follow Jesus, but on their own terms, right? They wanted to force him to be king and meet their, serve them to meet their needs, meet their desires. So they had their own selfish agenda, and that's why, as Jesus reveals himself through the sign and also reveals himself through his word, they say, no, this can't be true. And so there's a, 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 a grumbling, a rejection, a lack of faith. Then Jesus says something that's very interesting. Do not grumble among yourselves. And he says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This statement is very similar to what, similar to what he already said, verse 37. Notice, verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Here, he says the same thing in a different way. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So that first statement, all that the Father gives me will come to me, that first statement makes it seem like the whole world can be included in that statement. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Right? That can like possibly be like anyone, everyone, the whole world. But the second statement, which is kind of similar, but he says it in a different way, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Now that second statement makes it clear that the Father's, uh, that the Father is selective, right? So the Father has a predetermined will, and his predetermined will is selective. Not everyone is included among the ones who he gives to the Son. And then he says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they, will, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard, learned from the Father, comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Okay, so um, he's saying the gift, of the gift of eternal life, it's the Father's work. Jesus says, they will all be taught by God. They will learn from the Father and come to me. But no one has seen the Father except the Son. So if you hear the Son and believe the Son, you are being taught by the Father 
And that's why you're coming to Jesus. And we know how this works, right? Like even right now, like you're sitting here, or maybe not now, but like at some point, like, like you've experienced it, right? You're sitting there at church or whatever, like you're hearing the word of God. And then like something clicks. Something like a, maybe like a thought clicks in your mind. Like something happens inside of you. There's an internal illumination, right? Like something, like, it's not even like what the preacher said, but something connected to that triggers some thought, maybe triggers some emotion. There's an internal illumination. That's because we're being taught by God. That's because he's moving us to come to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. You'll be taught by God. This is the Father's work. And as you're taught by God, the Father, that's why we come to the Son. So, as the, as the people grumble, right? As they're saying, I can't believe this because whatever. That sounds unbelievable to me because, and then they oppose his word. As they do that, as they grumble and as they oppose his word, that's the evidence of the selective nature of the Father's predetermined will. Whatever reasons that might be, like to, to the person, it might seem perfectly logical that I can't believe that. Or I can't go there to follow Jesus. Right? I can't be on board with that. Whatever those reasons might be to oppose the revelation of who Jesus is, that's the evidence of the selective nature of the Father's predetermined will. That's why for us, as we hear his word, we must be eager to hear his word and obey his word. That's why we have to make sure that we're not making excuses about why we can't follow the word of God. So the two points I was uh, I outlined here, I said, all that he has given me, right? I'm just taking it out of the verses, right? All that he has given me and unless the father draws him. But what we're really talking about here is God's predetermined will is directly linked to our choices. God's predetermined will is direct, directly linked to our choices. That was the first point. And then the second point is God's selective will is directly linked to our obedience. God's selective will is directly linked to our obedience. And that's why we have to be eager to hear his word and obey his word. Because if we don't, that becomes the evidence of the selective nature of the Father's predetermined will. And after explaining all this, Jesus states it clearly again, verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He's saying if you believe these words, you have eternal life. Because I am the bread of life. Now, um, hearing a sermon like this, I'm sure, like if you're discussing this in life group, 
this week, it'll probably raise a lot of questions. And that's okay. It should. Because the whole, I think the purpose of what Jesus is saying here to the crowd is so that they would um, make choices of how they're going to respond to Jesus. Right? It's supposed to raise questions so that they can respond to Jesus. So that's okay if it raises questions and makes us evaluate our, our lives and things like that. Um, a couple of things before we finish. So I was talking with Pastor Aiden recently about our church. Um, and I was thinking about like all the people in the past 10, 11 years who have left our church. And then, so I said, and I said to him, you know, I think like, maybe we're doing something wrong. So over the course of like, the past decade, I mean, like, just thinking about all those people, and there are many, if you go back a decade, like there are many who, it's not like they left town and left our church, it's like, they're just people who have left the church. So I was thinking about like, maybe we're doing something wrong. And maybe that's true. I mean, that's a real possibility, right? Like we're, we need to be doing something different or something like that. That's a real possibility. But Pastor Aiden, like, you know, we're talking and what he said was, he goes, I'm not sure if that's really the case. Like, I'm not sure if that's really the main thing. And then he's saying that um, it's possible that many of the people who, who might have, you know, who left, might have left the church no matter what church they were going to. And I think there's truth to that statement also. Because that's what we see here in this text. The fact that people leave Jesus or the fact that people don't continue to come to Jesus doesn't mean that the Father or Jesus doesn't mean that they're failing at the work. Doesn't mean the Father is failing at his work of giving eternal life. It doesn't mean that the Son is failing at the work of accomplishing the, the Father's will. Many will see Jesus, yet fail to believe. Many will reject the invitation. That's the nature of the gospel. Story. So, again, we must be eager to come to Jesus, to hear His word, and to obey One more thought. Um, okay, so March Madness is going on. If you're following it, good for you. Um, you know, I, I, we, uh, we started a second chance bracket with our family. I'm first place. Uh, I got all four games correct yesterday. Um, so I'm like a little bit happy about that, but that's just like a little bit of a consolation to my failed pick original picks, um, Illinois losing still hurts. But anyway, um, I was thinking about March Madness and I used to see March Madness games differently. Just as a basketball fan, I used to see it as like, a, in a very kind of like a mechanical wins and losses. You know, who won, who lost? Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's, that's a boring game. I used to kind of see it like that. But now, 
I'm a parent of a student athlete. So I'm in the stands cheering for my kids and I've seen personally the joy, personally the joy they experience when they win and the sadness they experience at heartbreaking losses. I see also the work they put in into trying to improve their game so that they can compete. So now that's how I see even these March Madness games. It's not just about how my bracket's doing, but every time a team wins or loses, I see that these are real people with real feelings of incredible joy or devastating pain. These student athletes, I mean, think about it. They've been dreaming about playing in this tournament their whole lives. And along with that, they've spent countless hours in the gym practicing ever since they were, you know, like first grade or second grade or whatever. And they've over the years sacrificed so much trying to get to this point, trying to get to this moment. That's why if they lose in this tournament, it's so painful. Like this is... This is the end of the road for many of these players, right? This is their last ever competitive basketball game. They're never going to play in a competitive uh, league or anything ever again for many of them for the rest of their lives. So when they lose and when they cry, like I, 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 I see that and I, I, I can you know, see that with real compassion of what they're experiencing in light of the context of their lives. You see, when we talk about God's predestined will and His selective will pertaining to eternal life, I don't think God is up in heaven like filling out His bracket, you know? Oh, okay, this person can move, move on. This person can go to hell. Rather, the way that parents, right? Parents, the way they celebrate with their players in their joy. Or the way they grieve with their players in their agony. I think that's something like how God sees sinners. He's the father in the prodigal son story who could not contain his joy at the return of his son. We also see the father's heart as the son wept over Jerusalem as he weeps over their unbelief. And you see, it's in that heart, it's in that spirit that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's in that heart, it's in that spirit as Jesus looks on the crowd, as he looks at sinners, as he looks at their personal agendas as, as he looks at their inclination to obey, disobey him, to set their own course. It's in that heart, it's in that spirit, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray together. You see, it's in that heart And it's in that spirit that Jesus is extending his invitation to us today. I promise you, 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me, believes in me, shall never thirst. He looks at us with our tendency to have our own agendas, our own life plan, and offers invitation with the promise, you will be forever satisfied. So come to me, so believe in me. So I think what that means for us is that we need to receive his word and be eager to trust his word and obey his word. Let's just pray that for along those lines for a moment before we close our time together. Father, help us to walk with you um, throughout this week. Um, help us experience you uh, next to us, side by side. Help us to see Jesus clearly as we should, as who he is. Pray that you would break open the idols of our hearts, the hidden ambitions and desires that we hold on to. Help us to be able to receive your word with assurance, with faith, causing us to follow Jesus faithfully. May this be a, a special week of just great revival in our hearts personally and together as a church. Help us to, I guess, attain personal testimonies throughout this week. Just uh, ways that we can remember Christ for the rest of our lives as you, as you show yourself to us as we seek to walk with you. Just be with us. Be with our church. Through all this, help us become the people of God, children of God, in love with our Heavenly Father, servants of God, willing to go to our, carry our own cross and die uh, for our Savior. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging covenant love of the Father God, and the fellowship, and the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people both now and forever. Amen.